0: To the Total Soccer Show, my name is Daryl Grove, and I'm joined by a man who's bracing himself for the TSS Derby. His name is Taylor Rockwell. Hello,
1: hello. It's a little bit that, and a little bit me trying to make sure today is Friday, right? Today's Friday. Friday. I think I think I'm finally on the level where I know what day it is. Yeah. So that's going to return to that just in time to yes, be nervous about the TSS Derby. <laughs> so it's this Saturday. It's 12:31
0: uh-huh. U.S. <laughs> <Of> Eastern <laughs> of Time on ESPN Plus. It's Wolves hosting Manchester United in the FA Cup third round. TSS Derby, the stakes, aren't they, Taylor?
1: I am not optimistic.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So the stakes for TSS are the winner of the TSS Derby Mm -hmm. gets to hang their jersey in the TSS
1: office. Instead, you've just hung your layers uh, in in the office instead of your jersey. Well,
0: I recently took my jersey home to wash it so it can be nice and fresh when I hang it next Monday after Wolves
1: knock Man United out of the FA Cup. You rinsed out the luck, my friend. (laughs) As everyone knows, you never wash the lucky jersey.
0: Maybe that's what Wolves did before they played Watford recently. That could also be. That was the issue. And what Man United did before they played
1: Arsenal. I think what Man United continue to do every game this season pretty much.
0: So I'm guessing maybe if it's a good game, you and Ryan will be talking Mm -hmm. about it on the weekend review. I'll be watching. I doubt I'll be able to uh, withhold making some comments. I'll bet bet you I appear in the weekend
1: review via text message. That would make sense, yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. but today,
0: no, yeah, today there's no animosity. I'm, I'm already just
1: thinking about how not looking forward to that game I am. But yes, yes, let's talk about today. No out.
0: animosity. Today is a listener question special. Shut we up, Daryl. How's that for no
1: an animosity? Yeah, it didn't. I didn't buy it. I didn't buy it. <laughs> yeah, nor should you. <laughs> we have twelve. It's set, up with, a, it's set up with a question mark. I think <laughs> at the beginning of it. Anyway, yes, we've.
0: Twelve questions? Twelve listener questions. It's a full eleven and one sub. Mm-hmm. Who will get a run out? This so is all what happens. twelve will get a game. This is what
1: happens when you let an energetic, well-rested, I'm going to assume caffeinated Daryl pick the questions. Yes, yes. This yes. one and this one and this one and this one. I also love listener questions. I know you do. They like. are some
0: of my favorite shows. I know. Um, We would be remiss if we didn't mention that um, if you subscribe and support the Total Soccer Show at $10 a month or more, which you can do at totalsoccershow.com slash join, We guarantee to answer at least one of your questions per month on the Total Soccer Show.
1: We certainly do. We've got, as we said, 12. Let's get right to them. Starting with Jen Kula-Jones, who asks, Are there any female play-by-play or colour analysts in English men's football? If not, do you foresee that changing anytime soon?
0: The answer is yes. Mm -hmm. There is one. There is one uh, colour analyst, Mm -hmm. co-commentator. Her name is Sue Smith. Um, She's a former England winger and forward, and she works for Amazon Prime. Mm -hmm. So I don't know if people know this, but Amazon Prime just started broadcasting about three different match days or two different match days in England, uh, the Premier League this season. Sue Smith was a co-commentator with Derek Ray on December 4th for uh, Wolves v. West Ham, and then on Boxing Day, Everton v. Burnley. As far as I'm aware, um, Sue Smith is the only female co-commentator, as in like live commentary
1: mm-hmm. um, in English football. Can we talk about that for a second? So what is the difference then between uh, play-by-play, colour analyst and a presenter? Because that's the thing I feel like you tend to see is like the top 10 female presenters in yeah. English football.
0: Well, I mean, I take play-by-play and colour analyst are mm-hmm. the pair, right? right? There's always the the person who's doing the X has the ball, passes to Y and then the colour analyst is that was a good pass by X to Y. Yes, it was. <laughs> right? So that's, that's the pair. And then, yeah, in studio you're a host or a mm-hmm. pundit, essentially. Right. Um, you have Alex Scott, um, um, former England and a, I want to say Arsenal player I believe you're correct, yep. um, she is pretty prominent in terms of uh, presenting stuff uh, she was 2018 Men's World Cup she was a, a pundit for the, I want to say the BBC uh, 2019 Women's World Cup the same and now she's a co-presenter of Goals on Sunday with Chris Kamara mm-hmm. which means she's very talented if she can work alongside Chris Kamara because he is I love that man. a wonderful wildcard. <laughs> I don't
1: know Jeff um, <laughs> I love that man so much um, yes and I've seen a few different clips of her uh, specifically in preparation Alex for Scott? this question Yeah, there's the one where she she sort of gets into it with Graham Soonis because she's talking about teams playing in a low block and he interjects yeah. to say, what's that?
0: Because Graham Souness like... wants to just talk
1: about fight and passion yeah. and side tackles. But, yeah. but it, it was interesting in that moment because, like, I think I saw a lot of people he's, he's responding... He's the reason
0: Liverpool haven't won the Premier League in a long time. He's
1: the reason. <laughs> the only reason. He's the one, and for people who are less familiar with Graham Souness, he's the one who's always uh, criticizing Paul Pogba for having hair. Mm-hmm. I think that's the big thing. Yep. Um, and also being a Man United player, but mostly the hair. Uh, but yeah, I saw Alex Scott get into it, into it with him a little bit because he sort of interrupted to ask that question about what's a low block, and I saw some commentators lovely comments on that YouTube clip, uh, talking about how, like, what? He's just asking a question. He just wants clarification. And my feeling there is, like, I wouldn't just interrupt Daryl to ask him, like, a point blank question when he's in the middle of making a point. The reason why you do have that you, is...
0: Have you heard our show? I'm pretty well, sure
1: you do. M- more of a, like, <laughs> no, it's not this. Like, just shutting it down. Yeah, like, yeah. it's it's... It is definitely not a thing he would do to a male presenter. And it felt like, yikes. It, yeah, it was definitely very, a, a hostile atmosphere. It's very,
0: I mean, the state of English mm-hmm. sort of punditry is very old guard and yeah. new guard. And yeah. there's, there's one and there's the other. Mm. I would imagine that um, as, for example, the women's England team gets more popular and uh, the FAWSL gets more popular, you probably have a lot of uh, female presenters and uh, co commentators and commentators get their start there mm-hmm. and then get their way in to uh, working on the Premier League. That is my guess.
1: I I do just love the approach of like, we we can't have women football analysts. We've got to give all this money to Michael Owen (laughs) (laughs) And, and Jamie Redknapp to say... Because they're Things? already famous. Right. Yeah. Ready <laughs> uh, for the next question? I am. I just want to add uh, Rebecca Lowe is the greatest host in the world. Uh, she is not a color color commentator or by play-by-play person, but still, she's the best.
0: She's one of the great British exports. Yes. Yep. <laughs> next question mm. comes from Brandon Paquin. Yep. Brandon Paquin wants to know, which U.S. men's national team player needs a move this transfer window?
1: The answer is several. Uh, I'm gonna, Pick one. I think the biggest one for me is Bobby Wood, who... I believe he's still a professional soccer player. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uncertain. But basically wage issues, a lack of kind of desire from clubs in Germany, and then some issues with him coming back to Major League Soccer, salary there where he would be, I think have limited his availability and his ability to move. He's at Hanover? Yes, but I think is really, really on the outs, and unless something happens, I don't know when we see him again. So I think move, even to two Bundesliga, even to the Netherlands, even to just somewhere where he'll get yeah. minutes, I think is key.
0: He's fallen so far, I didn't even consider him a US men's national team player when I put my little list together. Right. Um, I have two answers. Cameron Carter-Vickers, yep, um, who too. is uh, no longer on loan at Stoke. He's back with Tottenham. It's a long, 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 long shot for him to play mm-hmm. for Tottenham because he's not, I mean, much as I like him, he's not Jan Vertonghen or Toby Advarald or Davison Sanchez, no. right? He's not at that level. Um, there's a rumor that he's going to Derby County on loan, hmm. which I'm all for because then you can... do a sort of uh, buy one, get one free, you can watch CCV and Dwayne Holmes in action with a little bit of Wayne Rooney as well. That's the other one, yep. Yep. Um, So CCV to Derby. And then the other one, Aaron Long. Do you Mm -hmm. remember all the rumours that Aaron Long was maybe going to Southampton or to Marseille? It was going to be Aaron Long's big move from MLS to Europe. Those rumors were in November. It's January 3rd now, and that rumor seems to have cooled off.
1: I think a big part of that is because he was heavily linked with West Ham. Pellegrini now gone. David Moyes coming in, so maybe Mm -hmm. they slowed or even kind of canceled some of the moves that maybe they were looking at previously because they want to let David Moyes, who is now I think the long term, Solution, maybe? 18 months contract, I believe. So somewhat long term, (laughs) not not fully. So we'll see how much freedom he has, how much kind of of control he's given. But maybe that move still happens, but I take your point. But
0: I actually think Aaron Long might be the big answer because this transfer window might determine, maybe the summer as well, might determine whether he is a player that moves to Europe or is just a career MLS player. Because he's, what, 27, I think, Mm -hmm. at this point? So it's getting towards now or never for Aaron Long.
1: Similar, but not obviously the exact same uh, for why I had Cameron Carter-Vickers on my list as well. Because he is a player who we see... Get lots of moves. He, I think, he had two different loan moves last oh, season. Oh, he's been
0: to Sheffield United, Ipswich. I want to say Swansea yeah. and Stoke. Mm-hmm. He's been to four Championship teams right. already. If he keeps going, he could get the whole set. You
1: never know. Uh, but but so like it's it's strange to think of him and say like he definitely needs another move. And where I had him on my list was sort of like he needs a move that makes sense that puts him in a position to like not try to force him to play with his feet if he just can't do that, and that means he's not yeah. going to play. But like a team that are going to need him to be physical, to be a leader, to be whatever, if he can fit in and get consistent minutes, I feel like that. And you can start to develop because a player who has confidence in form, I think it's easier to train to do other things than yeah. a player who is completely lacking form. And now you're asking them to do even more stuff on top. And it's
0: big for the U.S. national team, right. right? For Olympic qualifying, if he does manage to get called up for the actual Olympics mm-hmm. and then maybe for the future for the senior men's national team. Yes, All right, sir. I'm
1: ready for the next question. All right, let's do it. Carolyn Akari McCarthy asks, today I saw Jordan Pickford. Well, I guess this is more of a statement than a question. <laughs> uh, today I saw Jordan Pickford, the Everton goalkeeper, uh, dribble from outside the area in and then pick up the ball. Is this allowed? Can you clarify who can and how can a pass into the box legally be picked up?
0: So I went back. Carolyn very helpfully gave us the minute that this happened. It mm-hmm. was the 44th minute. and twen- So 44-20 is when this happened in the Everton Man City game. Um, it wasn't a pass from um, an Everton player. Can
1: I just add that if this is being picked up, that it's not your headphones that are breaking people. There's a large truck backing yeah, up in the alleyway outside. This right? <laughs> it really freaked me out for a minute. I was like, you're hearing that, right? I'm not having like some weird brain aneurysm, am it's I? It's collecting all our
0: recycling. <laughs> okay. It's all our empty Coke Zero bottles <laughs> are being picked up. Yikes. That's a send an extra truck. That's a journey. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, continue. So uh, Jordan Pickford did receive the ball outside of his mm-hmm. box, dribble in and pick it up. But it didn't come from an Everton player. This was a clearance mm. from um, centre-back? <laughs> Question mark Fernandinho yeah. from Manchester City. He hit a longish ball. Um, Pickford was outside of his area, collected it, dribbled in, picked it up. There's nothing wrong with that. It's mm. not a pass from an Everton player, so therefore he's perfectly fine picking it up inside. Yeah? Right.
1: So, when would that not be okay then? When could if he it? It's passed win? to him by an Everton mm-hmm. player, right.
0: right? I even looked it up. Law 12, section 2. It's an indirect free kick if the keeper touches the ball with his hands after it has been deliberately played to him by a teammate, or touches the ball with his hands after he has received it directly from a throw in taken by a teammate. Then there's some expe- exceptions for mm-hmm. like headers and chests and what right. have you. But basically, it doesn't matter um, if you receive the ball outside the box, dribbling and pick it up um, because it hasn't come from a teammate I understand why Callan asked this question though because I think this is a weird American rule Mm -hmm. and I learned this when I um, filled in in goal for our indoor team Richmond City a few years ago I received the ball outside the box dribbled in picked it up free kick yep it's an indoor rule Mm -hmm. i'm pretty sure that keeper can't dribble into his own box and pick it up but it's not an 11 a side rule
1: Mm -mm. and i think
0: i should have been given a pass (laughs) (laughs) but you were
1: given a pass you just picked it up that's the problem (laughs) uh yeah so i think maybe it is an indoor rule i don't know maybe it's i blame nasl whatever there's weird rules that seem to be like uh different than what we have in the rest of the world you blame me nasl with no evidence yeah you just
0: make nasl the villain
1: and maybe also missile misl is that what it was yeah major indoor soccer league yeah Do people pronounce
0: it missile? They absolutely should have, right? I I would hope so. I'm playing in the Missile League. If if it's still around, I hope they do. I hope (laughs) they do. Next question Christian Art. Christian Art asks Are there any world class or formerly world class defenders you would sign as an MLS designated player? And then I chose this question and I've Mm -hmm. added the caveat it has to be realistic. Right. Because I would sign. Virgil Van Dijk and give him all the money as an yeah. MLS designated player oh, yeah. for any MLS team, but he's not going to want to join mm. right now. He's like, you know, I'm in the middle of a Liverpool title challenge, right? Haven't?
1: Yeah, yeah. I think you'd, you'd struggle to get him out. Wait, I do think. Wait, that... how much money? I might be interested. <laughs> I think there are some realistic answers, okay. both short term and like medium term. So, for example, a medium term one for me would be Diego Godín uh, at Inter mm. Milan, 33 years old, still going strong. So, I don't think you could get Isn't him out of the right Too right? Yeah, exactly. So, I don't think you could get him now, but he. F- I feel like he's reaching that point where maybe this time next year Mm -hmm. that's the one I would throw that's the one I would throw (laughs) DP money at but in terms of shorter term I would say Marcelo would be the one that I would maybe say I went
0: centre-backs only but yeah yeah.
1: technically Marcelo's a defender technically exactly (laughs) I think maybe he ends up being like a left winger or a central midfielder in Major League Soccer but only six games for Madrid this season yet he's Mm -hmm. only 31 Uh, I think he would be a borderline appointment designated player that I think Marcelo is such a known entity that I can see people not quite the level of Ibrahimovic or Beckham but I could see people going games to get to see Marcelo play a game because he's that exciting and a solid locker room presence by all accounts
0: that's interesting all right I've gone for someone who I think could go this summer Mm -hmm. and this is this is a possibility in my mind Thiago Silva okay 35 years old Uh he's with PSG his PSG contract expires the summer of 2020 Thiago Silva will be a free agent Hmm. he could go back and play in Brazil he won't go and play in China Nope. China has been the path for a lot of people to go make big money, more so than MLS, right, right, in the last few years. I don't know if people know this. I'm sure you know this. China recently changed the rules, right? Mm-hmm. They, I think the most you can earn now in China is £42,000 a week.
1: Yeah. Right? They've, they have they've, really cut back. Yeah. And then also, you can earn that unless your name is Mesut Ozil, in which case you're not allowed to earn anything in China. And oh. I think Mesut Ozil is probably fine with it. Yeah, so. I don't think
0: he'll be going and playing in so. the Chinese Super League. Yeah, it seems so, unlikely. existing uh, players with contracts in China can see them out, but new mm. contracts, like if silver went there, he wouldn't be able to earn the mega money that, for example, uh, Miranda, his right. one-time partner, is earning at... A Chinese team. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so Diago Silva, I think, is a possibility to join an MLS team. Oscar, I think, is still there, too. Yeah, he's yeah. making £400,000 a week, I believe. Goodness yeah. he's making, gracious. Yeah, more than Oscar-worthy money is what he's making. Well, <laughs> well done. Um, other possibility, you mentioned Marcelo, 31, Real Madrid. Sergio Ramos mm-hmm. is 32. He's Real Madrid through and through, right? I know, didn't he start at Atletico, maybe? But at this point, or Sevilla, sorry, who's at Sevilla? Um, he's Real Madrid through and through at this it's point. Andalusia, I think, yeah. I can't see him wanting to play for another European team. I also think there'll, there'll be a point where maybe Sergio Ramos's power base in the mm. locker room... Right now he has it, right? Yep. But at some point it will be eroded and he won't have the control of the team that he used to have. That will be the time to move on. I think he could make a big money move uh, to, to Major League Soccer. Yep. And he would be appointment
1: television. He would. He would. watch
0: Ramos destroy opposition strikers. S-
1: for similar reasons, pretty much... Exactly what you've just said, Gerard Piquet is in there mm. in my mind as well. That would be a, a big change for him. I don't know if he's quite ready to leave Barcelona, but mm. there are lots of... 31 right non- now, so he's got
0: a couple of years to go. Yeah, ago. but yeah.
1: there are lots of non-soccer reasons I could see him making that jump yeah. as well. Shakira probably wouldn't mind living in the United States, who knows? Oh, yeah, um, that's a good shout. And then here's the one that like I know is not world-class, but plays on a team that used to be world-class and is in desperate need of a move. Doesn't Phil Jones seem like he would destroy Major League Soccer?
0: Do you think anyone would make Phil Jones a designated player? I, I guess they make yeah. Ridgewell a designated I player.
1: I think they would, and I think that would be a really good move because I think he could be sort of a holding midfielder slash centre back who's good in possession. Yeah, because I think in Major League Soccer he would be <laughs> just fine. You'd
0: have his various faces mm-hmm. um, as the <laughs> as your promotional material. I
1: think he'd be in a really really good signing because I think he'd be all action. Oh, and he'd yes, you'd have all the Phil Jones faces to keep the means yeah. going, and you could have them in different jerseys, and it would be all wonderful.
0: Uh, Phil Jones feels more realistic yeah. than say Thiago Silva or Sergio Ramos yeah. or Jared Pique. Yeah, yeah. I yeah.
1: think when we look at the players that the DP defenders, it's not a long list. And so I feel like, yeah, yeah, Phil Jones might be uh, on that list for sure in terms of level of competition.
0: Ready for the next question? I believe so. It comes from Kelsey S. Mm -hmm. Kelsey S. asks, do you think allowing U.S. women's national team members to play for European leagues would help or hurt the NWSL? And a bit of context for this is obviously the deal with the U.S. Soccer Federation Mm. where basically, it's not exactly this, basically if you play for the U.S. women's national team, and you, play, you then play in the NWSL and you have a contract where your salary is paid by U.S. soccer. And your salary is way above and beyond what everybody else in the mm-hmm. NWSL is making, right? right? Um, so w- if U.S. soccer loosened it up and said, all right, don't worry about it. Go play for Leon or whatever, um, would that hurt the NWSL? Yes, it would, right? hundred percent. Why would it hurt the NWSL? Because,
1: because right now, I think NWSL relies on the marquee names yeah. to attract fans, like or to attract otherwise like diehard fans. Diehard fans are going to be there to attract more neutrals. You've got to have Megan Rapino. You've got to have Julie Ertz and Carly Lloyd and yeah. names like that. If they're all, I mean, other teams are aware of that too. So you've
0: got to have the name that someone's like, I'm going to, I'm going to turn on TV mm-hmm. to watch this yeah. person play, or I'm going to go to the stadium yeah. to watch Megan Rapinoe. I mean, but.
1: yes, and if you have more European clubs. With more money, like Chelsea are aware of that too, Arsenal are aware of that too. If you get Alex Morgan in there, that's going to turn some heads. The tea celebration is going to be mem- remembered potentially. Yeah. So I think lots of other teams would be aware of that marketing potential and that draw, and would happily give those players, those yeah. star players, more money. I mean, they're and the best players in the world. Here. There's exactly. also that, right? If you're yeah. looking
0: to build a competitive team in Europe, mm-hmm. you want some US Women's National Team right. players, right? Yeah. I can't see much upside to NWSL. Losing Mm -hmm. the marquee players, especially in terms of marketing. I can see an upside in terms of it would potentially open up slots for the next generation to then basically earn a good salary and maybe make a name for themselves to become the next Alex Morgan, the next Megan Mm Rapino. But there's always an interim period where you don't quite have that, right? And I would also argue no matter how well you perform in NWSL as one of the marquee, like upcoming marquee names, you don't really have the marquee name. Until you've gone to the World Cup and everybody's seen you do it and a whole nation of people who only pay pay attention to the U.S. women's national team at the World Cup suddenly know your name,
1: right? right? Yeah. So I think maybe the devil's advocate argument would be That if you had more players going abroad, then that opens up more space on domestic rosters for other players who might not otherwise get chances. That's one. The other one would be, like, the Washington Spirit have Mallory Pugh and Rose Lavelle, not because they were particularly adept at business and were able to get them. It's because they were really bad two years in a row and drafted them. (laughs) And so maybe if you had players with more freedom to move abroad instead of getting drafted, then that kind of incentivizes those teams to operate a little bit better work a little bit harder so yeah. you can't just rely on uh being the worst but then getting the best as a result so those are the long answers but the
0: short answer is
1: nope um it would hurt, the it would hurt. Yeah. yeah yep um next question yeah We're moving right through them Derek yeah. light who is the biggest club you reasonably see getting relegated within the next five years daryl i'm gonna need specific big clubs please It's actually kind of hard, right? I know, that's why I'm making it very specific for
0: you. One team that's towards the the bottom end of the Bundesliga right now that Mm -hmm. I think of as a big name because they recently-ish won the Bundesliga is Werder Bremen. But I'm not sure how big Werder Bremen actually are in terms of the size of German clubs. And this is our trip to Germany to see some Bundesliga. Mm -hmm. Really, like... um, it shook my certainties I had about who were the big
1: teams in mm-hmm. Germany. Yeah, we, we, when I saw
0: 50,000 at Eintracht Frankfurt and then 54,000. When they were like
1: intimate stadium at Dusseldorf, we are yeah. like, oh, it's going to be 26,000.
0: 54,000. Right. I really mm-hmm. have no concept now. I actually think, I, I did look this up, I think Werder Bremen Stadium is smaller than both of those. But Verde mm. Bremen is a name that rings out to me because they won the league with right. Diego that one year. So now I'm, now I'm all kinds of confused. <laughs> I feel more certain in England mm. where I think it's the usual suspects. Yeah. Like Newcastle, big, big team. Always a chance they go down. Yep. West Ham, big team, always a chance they go down, especially right now. Um, Aston Villa, who like recently relegated, now back up. There's a chance they go down mm. too,
1: right? And and. It's worth noting, like, some of those teams, like, that might not sound like that dramatic of an answer. And it isn't because I think the answer it's not, is that I it's, wish I had, like, I wish yeah. I could
0: say, oh, Tottenham, it's all going wrong. Right. It's not, right? They're not going down. No.
1: And we'll talk about that in a second. Uh, but I would say, like, it's worth remembering that before Newcastle were relegated two times ago, like, they had been there for a while. And that, in the moment, was a big sign of, like, wow, things have not gone well for Newcastle. I cannot believe they're relegated. West Ham, kind of the same. And now, because they've been relegated a couple times, it feels more commonplace. So I would say that, like, because recency says, like, oh, yeah, those teams get relegated, Villa would be the same. But in reality, like, Villa getting relegated when they did was sort of like, wow, I can't believe that's finally happened. That's a club that had so many very good players. But with all that said, I think you're absolutely right, though, that we're not going to see any big, big like, top eight teams get relegated anytime soon. soon, at least. Because in my opinion those teams have enough talent at their disposal that, like, look at that Chelsea team that were absolutely horrible in the final season under Jose Mourinho. Yeah. They were near the relegation zone. As soon as he's fired, they go right back out. They finish, like, you know, ninth or whatever. It's
0: more fixable, right? Yeah. If you're a big team and they're trending down, you can fix it with a new manager because right. the talent's there and something's obviously going wrong. It, there's an easy fix, yeah. right? if you're a
1: Huddersfield and you have, like, 14 Premier League-caliber players, if you drop two of them, you're suddenly in a lot of trouble, whereas yeah. Chelsea have, I believe, 90 Premier League-caliber <laughs> players at <that> their disposal. <laughs>
0: One interesting one. Mm. I don't know if this is just like uh, panicky fandom. Right now, Wolves feel untouchable in terms of relegation. I I I had
1: them on my like potential list. but they
0: are a team that's been up and been back down again. Not with the current very wealthy ownership, but I look at them right now as everything fits nicely, right? Like they have the relationship with uh, George Mendes, and then Nuno's the coach and he's good with George Mendes, and everything works because the type of player Mendes wants to bring in is the type of player Nuno wants. Everything fits nicely. A lot of Wolves' success is built on uh, Nuno's sort of tactical mm-hmm. system, that very good, like five-three-two, 3 two when they go away and they're hard to break down and they counter and all that. I think if Wolves lose Nuno, there's a chance that the whole project gets very shaky very fast and it'll be a team that, Continually uh, or continuously finish top 10 will suddenly be in trouble.
1: It's possible. I agree and disagree with aspects of what you said. I agree because I I think. That like your my reason for thinking about wolves was mostly because they're a team as are most teams in the Premier League at this point who have like wealthy benefactors and mm-hmm. there's always that threat of what happens if that person runs out of money or if they decide never mind I don't want to put money into this yeah. or they get divorced a la Monaco and then <laughs> suddenly they're struggling
0: I'm, I'm not sure Frozen <laughs> International can get divorced
1: yeah unless I would they hope get that.
0: divorced from the Chinese government
1: would, then they will <laughs> be in trouble I would hope not but <laughs> so that's the only way that I could see similar to like PSG Man City if they, if those ownership groups just pulled out all their money yeah. those teams are in a lot of trouble. Yeah. But with Wolves, I actually wouldn't be as concerned about some of the stuff you've mentioned just because thus far it feels like they have had plans in place. Mm-hmm. So I almost believe in them at this point. Maybe it's blindly, but I believe in them at this point that if somebody came in to try to get Nuno, there's already a list of people that they've kind of talked to or have yeah. a confident belief that that person can come in and continue to do the job.
0: The only evidence I have that maybe all could fall apart if Nuno leaves is that there was a time after Fozon took over... Mm-hmm. Um, and they had Walter Zenga yeah. as the manager, and it was an absolute just uh, mm-hmm. sham mockery of, of a season. Travis sham Travis sham Yeah, I, I heard. Uh... So I'm just worried that like Nuno's the the uh, the outlier, uh-huh. and that maybe things aren't as well organised as it seems to be.
1: Yeah, that's well. Except we'll find I think, out if you ever lose. I think so. Uh, Andy Brassel and I forget who else. I apologize. We're talking on like the Football Ramble Daily show. Uh, the most recent one about Not familiar. Transfers. I've never heard of it. That's fair. Uh, they were talking about how like Hearts of Berlin suddenly have a lot of money and they're sort of doing the thing that clubs that. Get a lot of money really fast tend to do, which is they're just trying to have that one big signing to show yeah, like we're yeah, here. Yeah. And so they're after Goretzka. They've been after a couple other people. They have Klinsmann in obviously, Grant-Shaka. yeah. And then yes, exactly. And their and their argument, Brassel's argument was like you always do that when you first get the money. You're like, look, we can get this guy and this guy and this guy. Look what we've done. Yeah. And then after that wears off and you realize oh that didn't work. Then you have the secondary round of like okay now we're actually going to sign the players that mm-hmm. we need and we're actually going to be smart about this. And I feel like Zengo was that first thing. Nuno was very much the second. Yeah, as our players like Jemelteinho and Patricia uh, and uh, who's your goalkeeper, Rui Patricio? Yeah, Thank sure you. Is. I got nervous for a moment about getting it, Patricio. I'm not uh, sure why.
0: You'll learn all about him on Saturday if
1: oh. you get through the Wolves defense. He's already haunted my dreams. It's fine.
0: <laughs> Next question comes from Tasha Maori. Tasha Maori or maybe Marry, um asks, if you were picking the 18-player U.S. women's national team roster for the Olympics, by the way, everyone should be glad that we are not picking that roster, yeah. um, would you
1: still include I'm I'm Crystal
0: Dunn as a defensive player. I'm gonna. So will she still be a uh, left-back like she was for you? I'm going to
1: say if you have a fully fit roster to choose from, if everybody's healthy, yeah I think that's where she has to go. Okay, why? Because I don't think she, I don't think it's worth disrupting if uh, Vlatko, if, if I'm coaching this, I'm going to stick with the 4-3-3. I'm going to mm-hmm. sort of do what Vlatko has done but say it's me doing it. <laughs> I don't think I would want to break up the Ertz-Haran-Rose-Lavelle uh, partnership. I like that a lot and yeah. I think there are other players like Sam Uyes who can come in and, and do that role there. So maybe Crystal Dunn is like a substitute there or a capable backup but I don't think it's worth relegating Crystal Dunn to backup because she can't break into those what about on the wings
0: because she can also play as an attacking winger right?
1: she could but then you look at everybody else who's there and I feel like there's so much depth there yeah, Heath rapino press right. yeah. <laughs> yeah. so it makes sense to maybe keep her where she is and use her as a more attack minded player when you're going against teams where you expect to have much more of the ball or you could use the kind of late, late arriving overlapping fullback to cause attacking yeah. problems and then maybe if you're going against a team where you need a bit more defensive uh solidity maybe that's where you do have her as a mm-hmm. winger or something like that but i think i would primarily go defense first yes i
0: think before the world cup we were all questioning Jalelis on right? whether this was a good idea even having crystal dunn play left back at all then more so when we saw the roster because there wasn't an obvious backup left back it was like maybe tina davidson can shift over mm-hmm. maybe kelly o'hara can play both fullback positions at once yeah but it worked out the u.s won the world cup mm-hmm. and crystal dunn was magnificent throughout the tournament right, right? i get the point of tasha's question is probably the 18 player roster you're losing five players right it's a bit of a squeeze um versatility becomes more important but then Crystal Dunn is maybe the most versatile player on that roster so I think I mean yeah
1: could could genuinely play at least four positions for the US women yeah so yeah I
0: think it makes sense to keep her um, as uh, a defensive player I assume that Tasha means left back yes yeah Yeah. so Crystal Dunn's in there and she's a left back unless and here's the other thing no one has outperformed her at left back
1: that's the other major, major yeah, thing, Yeah, I mean, right? Casey Short had, what, two games in the, in the camp, or maybe one game in the first camp under Vlatko, but even then that's still not, like, enough of did a Did she win size. the World Cup in those games? I don't believe she did, Daryl. I don't <laughs> believe she did. <laughs> Next question. <laughs> yes, please. Uh, Philip Gibson, do you think any team from the Premier League will ever reach 114 points? The short answer is I did the math no. wrong on this for a minute, by the way. Did you really? Yes, because I thought this was the question of like, because Liverpool have what, one draw this season? Yes. That's it. So for a second, I thought it was the math equal, like could Liverpool basically just win out? Would they be the first team? Yeah. Not realizing that, nope, the math was wrong. That means you have to win every single game. Yep,
0: 114 points is 38 times three. It's winning every single game. Yeah. The answer is no, no, I don't think. The most any team has ever gotten is 100 points. That mm-hmm. was Manchester City in 2017-18. Um, they had 98 points in 2018-19. Those are the two like highest points total. Mm. So the the upper limit is being pushed, but I think it's impossible to win every single game. Why? Because, there one, there are lots of other good teams out there. Mm-hmm. Someone's going to get you at some point, even in terms of a draw. Yep. But two... There are other competitions. There's the FA Cup. There's the EFL Cup. Yeah. There's the Champions League. If you're a team challenging at the top of the Premier League, you're almost almost certainly also in the Champions League at some point you will get tired or have to field a sort of second string squad rotated type team. You will drop a point at some point.
1: I agree entirely and that gets to the relegation question we had a moment ago but it applies here as well. The part I forgot to mention is that my argument was going to be I do think we maybe will see more teams at threat of relegation going forward because there is so much more money in the Premier League that I think teams like lower league teams, lower tier teams have more money, can spend more and I do think as a result this season we're going to see teams needing to get more points than historically it's been what 40 points in your safe take, yeah. like look at how many teams already have 20 points this year and it's almost all of them or yeah. like it's a lot of them at this point so i think you're starting to see teams get better yeah. so i think so there's always a
0: threat from every team right yeah exactly
1: yeah. but but because of that if everyone's getting better it also means that even the the weaker teams could potentially knock you off because they're still good enough to be yep. in the premier league and still good enough to be that like next mm-hmm. level caliber team
0: and then there's a magnificent achievement like arsenal the Invincibles Mm -hmm. went through an entire season without losing a game, right? So an Invincible season. They got 90 points, Yep. right? They did not get 114 Mm -mm. points. Maybe one day some miracle team will do it, and it'll be like the, uh, was it Roger Bannister ran the four-minute mile, and then everybody suddenly started Mm -hmm. running four-minute miles because everyone just believed it was possible, yeah. but I just think there's always going to be, throughout the length of a football season, there's always going to be at least one game that you don't win.
1: Yes. There yeah. You go. So, I have this question for you, though. So, yeah. as you said, what the record points total is, 99, 100? 100, 100. A hundred, yeah. Do you think Liverpool break that record this season? What have they got right now? Many. So they've, only, <laughs> they've
0: only drawn one game, right?
1: What, 20, 21 games, they've only drawn one? Well, they've so. only dropped two points, yeah.
0: right? So, yeah, I mean, if they keep it up, then yes, right? Yeah.
1: I think, I think they do. I think, I think they'll break Man City's points record short of a massive downturn in form and I don't see that happening and even then I feel like they could still have a couple bad games yeah. and break that 100 point record.
0: I mean look how basically perfect Liverpool have been yep. so far in the league and they've still managed to drop two points. Yep. That's why 114 is not possible. Uh greed. If it ever happens delete this podcast. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Don't do that though. Don't do that. Keep us around.
0: Next, no, just this episode. Keep, okay. uh, keep listening. Keep right. listening. Um, next question mm-hmm. comes from Erin Gustafson. Erin Gustafson asks if you had to pick just one NWSL team to follow for the season, who would it be? And why
1: the North Carolina Courage? Really? Uh, yeah,
0: of course. I assume you would have gone Spirit just because you kind
1: of have been to see them already, and you kind of support. Them. Nah, I like winners. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. I mean, I mean, it, it would be Spirit Squad's going to get you. I'm not looking at this from a fandom standpoint. Like, okay. I, I, I'm looking at it if, if you're picking a team, and if you're okay with being like a fair weather fan. But I'm not even saying like as a fan. I'm saying that the team that I think would probably be the most entertaining to watch is your two time champion or your back to back champion because they have so much talent. Yes, Sam Kerr is gone but I think they still have... She's in some, Chicago. Uh, oh, excuse me. Yeah, Sam Kerr. So, yeah, never mind. I had her in Chicago. Never mind. North Carolina, meanwhile, have uh, Jess McDonald still around. They've still got Abby Kemper playing balls out of the back. They've got the aforementioned Crystal Dunn. They've got so many exciting, talented pieces in that team that I think... And they play really, really exciting soccer. Chicago I had on my list because they're fun, but no but no more Sam Kerr means now I'm sad. The only other one that I, I think could be in there from a like interesting to see how the season plays out standpoint is Seattle yes. because of the new connection to Liam. Leon.
0: That's my choice. Yeah. Seattle Rain or Rain FC mm. because of the Leon purchase. Yep.
1: So the way this
0: is structured now is there's a there's a, a group, OL group, mm-hmm. Olympic Leon group. Um, and Lynn, they own,
1: Lynn Williams is the other attacker. I couldn't remember. There Sorry. Go. go ahead. Yeah.
0: Um, uh, OL group own the Leon men's team, the Leon women's team, which is maybe the best team in women's football, definitely the best team in Europe. Um, and now they own the Seattle team as well mm-hmm. uh, in the NWSL. I am really interested to see how they treat the Seattle team. Yeah. Is it like... Are they the third tier team behind the other two or do they get equal or as good as treatment as the Leon women's team?
1: Yeah, and I, and I think that it'll be fascinating to see what that treatment is, but also if that treatment goes well, do other teams follow suit? Do we see mm-hmm. Barcelona trying to establish relationships around Madrid or some of yep. the English teams? And so. this
0: would be a way to get loads of money into the yep. NWSL, right? Mm-hmm. If this works out, this is, I think, one of the primary not revenue, but um, financing sources for how the NWSL could take that next step. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, not, it's not like they're going to get a gigantic TV contract, right, that's going to pay loads and loads of money. I mean, even MLS, as developed as it is, can't do that. But if you're suddenly linked with all these gigantic uh, organizations, money can flow into yep. the NWSL. And I think there'll be, if that happens, there'll be a stronger argument for much, much higher salaries because groups like OL Group can't yeah. afford it. Yeah, yeah, I agree. So that, that's the team to watch maybe off the field in a way. Like yeah. on the field as well, but just the business aspect. I and think
1: there. It makes sense to watch them on the field as well. There we go. Yeah, yeah. she might even play for them this year. She might even. <laughs> Next question. <laughs> New manager
0: as well, since Vlatko from, is no longer there. Next question comes from Christian Astorga. Christian Astorga asks... Are you ready, Taylor? Mm-hmm. What are your expectations for the U.S. men's national team and Greg Berhalter in 2020?
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, I've got varying ones. I'm so going to start it. with start woke up qualifying strongly. That okay. is number one expectation that you've got to ease some nerves, soothe some jangled souls or whatever mm. the expression is. And I think that's one way <laughs> to do some it.
0: jangled souls. Yeah, man.
1: People are nervous. People are anxious. If you start off with a draw in that first game or like yeah. a draw and then like a shaky win... I don't know how well that's going to go over as opposed yep. to just two strong wins. We're off six points. Yep. Things seem way better.
0: So if people don't know, um, we don't have the final six mm-hmm. uh, competitors for the Hex yet. But we do know there will be six. It doesn't obviously. matter. Win them. Win them, right? Him. We have games in, on the schedule in 2020, September, October, November. Mm-hmm. We're assuming two match days for the Hex in each. There are only 10, you only play ten games in the Hex. We could play six of them. By the end of 2020. So my expectation is that we be in the top two in the HEX by the end of 2020. Okay. I think that's test. a good expectation, yeah. and a realistic expectation, and an expectation that will jangle my soul. <laughs> unjangle my soul. Unjangle, unjangle. you got to be unjangled.
1: Um, and then some other like less like measurable ones would be, uh, I would like to f- see them win a game against a better opponent, and I, that could be okay. by playing better soccer. Or, Netherlands in March? Yeah, or it could be by finding a way to win and scrapping their way through. Mm-hmm. Like There's the Klinsman one where I think Danny Williams scores a goal, and they beat the Netherlands, and like Danny Williams was the sixth sub, so how much faith you put into that? I don't yeah. know. Netherlands reserves team. Yeah, right? but when you are able to at least kind of go and get a result, be scrappy. Sarakin uh, had his team do it against France uh, when he was the interim manager. Like, I want to see the U.S. sort of go at a team that sort of cares in that game and see them look like, okay, this is a team that can actually beat yeah. like better tier opposition than we've seen so far.
0: I've also got on my list, make the Nations League final. Okay, right? So in June, we've, we talked about this on our 2020 prediction show, mm-hmm. right? But it's the CONCACAF uh, Nations League final, the championships, four teams in June. Our semi-final is against Honduras. Got to beat Honduras, Mm -hmm. then we'll be in the final against either Mexico or Costa Rica or Mexico. (laughs) (laughs) Bigger picture stuff, I'm looking for multiple identifiable patterns of play. We saw bits of it last year, right? We saw like the diagonal ball to the far post for the overlapping Mm -hmm. fullback. We saw the centre forward comes deep and the winger runs in behind. We saw it working occasionally. I would like to see more of those, so the repertoire is like 50 different moves that mm-hmm. we have, so it's not just really predictable and, uh, th- and ineffective, right? Do
1: you, do you feel like January will give you a good lens into that? Because that's when we saw last year at this time, that's when we saw like Nick Lima becoming a central midfielder, and that was the thing that we're sort of like, okay, we'll we're seeing s- new things. I think
0: we'll see some of the new ideas, maybe. Yeah. We'll see a couple more of the new ideas, yeah. Because okay. they, they do, add, as I understand it, Behelter is like teaching things, like patterns, mm-hmm. and then adding and adding and adding. Eventually, you're supposed to have this entire repertoire, yeah. right? Um, the other thing is, I would like to see... In 2020 the u.s um keep the fast transitions where applicable hmm. right we saw it in november against yep. canada canada sent fullbacks forward coughed the ball up or we won the ball there was space to not pass slowly and slowly get there there was just space to bang balls into for paul Ariola to run onto um, i would like to see the u.s do more of that yep. yeah 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 so do the do the build-up play do the positional play but also just exploit space when it's there i think we have hit that good balance, at least we did against Canada in November. I just want to see that continue through 2020.
1: Are there any players that you, you are... Dwayne okay- Holmes, Dwayne Holmes. Okay, so, but that is a question. Like, if we don't see Dwayne Holmes through the first six months of the year, is that going to frustrate you? Yes. Or if the United States is still playing well, less so?
0: I mean, there's a chance that we don't see Dwayne Holmes because, say, for the March friendlies, he happens to be injured yeah. or something. So if there's a good... If there's a reason, mm-hmm. then, yeah, it's fine, right? There's nothing you can do about it. But if he's available in March and doesn't get a selection... Uh, it's not that far from England to the Netherlands. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? No, it's, <laughs> it's not, not. It's not big travel. I would get him on a ferry if you have to. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, yeah, Dwayne Holmes is the one. If he doesn't get called up in 2020, I'll be
1: frustrated. Right. I like that because I do have as my like a couple other ones for me would be like stop calling in some of the the best way I can describe them as square pegs. Mm-hmm. And I don't well, I'm, he's not listening. But like Will Trap would be an example. Like Will Trap is a player now that we both feel confident saying is not going to be a player that we feel comfortable if somebody gets hurt in the World Cup and Will Trap is going to have to start for us, that's going to be a, like, uh, grabbing yeah, yeah. the collar, looking for some air sort of situation. So I think I would like to see some of those players phased out, some players that we don't think are at that level, mm-hmm. and then continuing to look for younger talent or developing talent talent or players coming through. That The January camp thus far seems like a good indication that that will continue to be the case. There's five teenagers in this January yeah. camp. That's a decent amount for me, uh, but I would like to see that continue, and more so than just oh, we've caught in this youngster, oh, we've caught in this youngster. They didn't get any minutes, But, look, we're calling in young players. Like, I'd like to see some players sort of start to earn their way into the squad. And if they do, then they continue to get those minutes as opposed to, well, yeah, but, like, this guy's been there before, so we're going to keep playing him.
0: I think what you'll see is probably, assuming we qualify for the Olympics, Mm -hmm. uh, you'll see a lot of guys get a lot of experience at the Olympics um, at the back end of the summer. Olympics Mm -hmm. is late July, early August, right? Um, And then, hopefully, that will have been a platform for, say, Paxton Pomichal to have made an impact with the U.S. soccer program to the point where in September, suddenly, assuming he's in decent form, He's a realistic choice to be in the match day squad yep. for the senior U.S. men's national team. All the Olympic stuff is behind. We don't have to think about juggling U23s and senior. I, I can see that, that the Olympics being like a springboard or a platform for players to become first-team regulars. Okay. Yeah.
1: All right. all right. That would, that would make me more optimistic. optimistic. Of it.
0: Final thing I have yep. is um, I'm looking forward and expecting the integration of a fit Tyler Adams into the US midfield. Like I think it is time to see if Tyler Adams can play the number six. And our number sixes are yep. Jackson Yule, Tyler Adams, still maybe Michael Bradley here and there. Can you make him be healthy? I can try. So It's working so far, right? Yeah. yeah I actually love that he made his comeback. You've looked, been doing that? That's been your through. work? I mean, I've been praying for it every day, <laughs> crossing my fingers. You
1: do that little Tyler Adams shrine in your house. Yeah, right.
0: Yeah. yeah. Don't tell him about that. Um, so the, I like that he came back towards the end of the, I can't remember if it's the Hinrunde or the Rückrunde, but the first half of the Bundesliga season, played really well for like 86 minutes or whatever it was. Mm. And then he gets the winter break rest as well, right? So we're not in danger of overexerting him really quickly. So he's back. Then he gets a nice rest, training camp, but rest hey. for match days. And then he's back in action uh, when, the, when the German season starts. Up. And then yeah. he's captain for life? Captain for life. Well, let's not use that phrase. So
1: you have the Tyler Adams shrine. Does Adam Bells have the Richie Ledesma shrine? Is yeah, that what yeah, he has? Definitely. Okay, yeah. cool. I feel like he's got a couple different shrines, a couple different <laughs> players. Um, and then, oh, by the, the way, I did hear
0: Richie Ledesma... Was uh, U.S. soccer were interested in calling him up? This is a soccer by Ivers story, and I trust Ivers Golasip. U.S. soccer wanted to call him up for this January camp. But PSV wanted him to train with the first team in the winter, so there good go. news all around for Richie Desma fans.
1: Good news all around yeah. for Richie Desma fans. Uh, one thing that would be party, good news party at Bell's House. for US soccer fans in general. This isn't an, and it would be a party at Bell's House, and I would go to that. Yeah. Uh, not necessarily U.S. USMNT, but more generally, I think the other thing we definitely need to see from US soccer is some coaches getting hired. Yes, <laughs> that, that would be another big one. They announced today they've hired a goalkeeper coach for the yes, senior men's team from Atlanta. Right, so. That's a hiring. I also saw Laura Harvey had stepped down at Utah. Interesting. So that might
0: be a women's national team youth program hire. Don't know. Interesting. We're, we're recording the show in the middle of a lot of decisions
1: happening. That feels like a step down for Laura Harvey. I feel like maybe that's a national team gig coming up for her potentially. Yeah, well,
0: like U20s, U23s. I don't oh, I'm more
1: yeah. so like another na- national team somewhere else.
0: Oh, I see. No, I, the rumor was it's she's going to be a U.S. Okay. Yeah. We'll right. see. We'll see what Kate Margaret She'll is be to.
1: at the uh, United Soccer Coaches Convention in Baltimore. Maybe we'll have to harass her until she gives us an answer. All Well, right. For, wait, wait,
0: you're assuming she'll be there
1: because of NDSL, right?
0: Maybe she won't now.
1: Nah, we'll find out. Yeah. All right. I mean, I think she's scheduled to give a presentation, so oh, there we go. I don't <laughs> think she's just going to scrap that one.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know about that. All right. Uh, ready for the next question? Mm-hmm. Um, okay. It comes from Grace Ott. Grace Ott says... Oh, I think I'm
1: uniquely positioned to talk about this one as opposed to Daryl. Would you want to ask me? Sure. Grace Ott, uh, the Premier League is considered by many the best league in the world. What are the factors that led to its success? Was it money, work permits restricting lower quality players, the history of the game being there, some combination of those, or something else entirely? Money. Mm -hmm. The answer is money. Uh,
0: So for those who don't know, what happened in, what, 92 is the Premier League broke away from the rest of the Football League so they could negotiate their own TV deal that they didn't have to share with all four divisions. They could just have all the money that they negotiated for themselves. And this happened in concert with... Rupert Murdoch's Sky TV. So this was a revolution in England. We didn't have cable before. Mm -hmm. You just had four channels that came through the aerial, right? Suddenly, satellite dishes were for sale and you had Sky TV, which is like the English equivalent of cable. It was a big thing to try and put really valuable things on Sky TV so that people would have to go out, get a satellite dish, get Sky. That was the whole thing. Like, have you got Sky? Has your family got Sky? It was almost like a weird class system developed in in the 90s. Rupert Murdoch and Sky TV put the Premier League on Sky Sports and, to make it the must-have thing mm-hmm. and just poured loads and loads and loads of money into the English Premier League through the TV deal. So R- that's,
1: that's where it all starts is with all the money coming in from Sky TV. Random but related question. Was that, in order to get Sky to be, have that subscription at the time, was that more of a like middle upper class sort of thing? Or was that like a thing that was available or easily accessible to all people?
0: I think you could, if you, like, figured out your budget,
1: uh-huh. you could get it, right? Okay. It wasn't,
0: like, horrifically unaffordable. Right. It was an extra thing in your budget.
1: I ask yeah. only because in doing some reading about this, like, I, I have heard the argument that a lot of the Premier League and, like, the early 90s soccer is in opposition to the way football was in the 70s and 80s with violent, violence, with hooliganism, with outdated uh, stadia, with kind yeah. of the focus on match day revenue of people going through the turnstiles, and that there was, a like, a deliberate move towards getting middle-class people to start being more into soccer yeah, yeah. because they wanted less violence, but they wanted more money at the same well, time. Well, part
0: of it is the, the popularity of the England team at the 1990 mm-hmm. World Cup, where they made the semifinals, I think made a lot of... That makes sense. Um, Like, essentially money people mm-hmm. <laughs> realize... That there is, there's the potential for the whole country, not just hooligans, to support football because of like how popular that England team was. That makes sense. And the Premier League is almost like the cashing of that check. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? Like we'll give football for those people, but it, so that, that's part of it. Yeah. And then
1: is it fair to say? And maybe it's not. This is a genuine question for you. Is it fair to say that like the idea of the l- lucrative TV deal was sort of a revolutionary di- idea of the time because it does sound, again, from what I read, that it was sort of clubs looking at, no, no, we got to focus on match day attendance. We don't really want there to be better TV deals because we don't want people staying at home watching games. We want them in the stadium. Well, it was
0: Yeah, it just wasn't that much money at the right. time. So, yeah, a big, big money TV deal was revolutionary at the time. I want to say it was revolutionary throughout all of football mm-hmm. and the other, other countries are still in a, yeah. in a way catching up to um, how much money the Premier League makes when it negotiates its TV deals. Because I think it's
1: worth reiterating. And, and obviously
0: that money is then spent on players right. and that's why you end up with loads of exciting players in the Premier League and that's why it gets really popular. Yeah,
1: absolutely. I have more I have more reasons. Please, though. please, keep um, going.
0: Okay, so there was the Taylor Report um, yeah. in the aftermath of the Hillsborough disaster which essentially uh, the, the very basics of it is it uh, called for all stadiums in England to be all-seater. Mm-hmm. So no standing, it was all-seating. It led to a lot of teams rebuilding their stadiums, right? right? So suddenly you have a lot of shiny new stadiums in English football in the nineties, and it just it's a better looking product on TV, right? It's not the shabby stadiums from the eighties with like rusty sheds. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? You get these like, really magnificent looking things, so that makes for a better product on TV,
1: and more people want to go because if you're suddenly yes. in a modern stadium that's comfortable and easy to get around, you don't. Uh, that was also when they moved away from having beer that you could just drink in your seat. You could now what you, you could only drink beer. You didn't even you have could, a seat before. You couldn't see the field though, right? That was the new rule. I, know, like, I didn't. I didn't go until post oh, ninety. No, but right? that's what I'm so. saying is like now the rule is you can't drink beer within. View of the field. Like, you Is have that to do right? it, you have to do it, like, oh, in the, concourse. the yeah. concourses. Yeah. yeah. A lot so of like, in the concourse. but even that was a move towards we got to get away from some of the hooliganism. Yep. We got to kind of limit some of that in order to make soccer a bit more appealing.
0: More reasons. Um Color. Mm-hmm. I honestly think still when you look at the Premier League, the way it's presented, it's bright mm-hmm. and it's colorful. And if you look at um, other football leagues, I would say Italy and Spain, especially. I don't know what it is the way they use the cameras, but it just looks a bit less colorful. Mm-hmm. The English Premier League has always been presented in
1: this way. That's really the, uh, the green is is well. Uh, the green is very green, well colored. Right? Yeah, I don't know how you explain that one.
0: Nothing greens greener. It's a Plenty. Of and, I mean,
1: I mean the lack of the lack of. Uh, uh, running tracks around the fields like yes. consistently in England is a because big deal? Of,
0: because of new stadiums. Yeah, I, that's a thing I, they can't have in Italy.
1: Sorry, I keep interrupting you. I remain convinced that people in the U.S. not like became Chelsea fans certainly because of Mourinho certainly because of how good they were but also because Stamford Bridge on TV is a really 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 pretty stadium because everything is so right on top of the field that it looks so claustrophobic there's always fans everywhere everybody's vocal uh, sometimes too vocal Uh, but I feel like that like you have that sort of aesthetic it definitely helps with pulling people in.
0: That's the other thing it may not be as true now but in the early 90s there was very like loud loud crowds Mm -hmm. again made for a good TV product. It's English language which exports well with the commentary and all that kind of stuff I think it just became a very exportable product that's loads of, so more money keeps coming in the more you sell it abroad that's how the Premier League became so successful mm-hmm. I mean there's actually um, a really good book on this by I forgot the name of it but it's by David Goldblatt um, I haven't read it but I've heard that it's like the definitive history of how right. the Premier it's League David became, Goldblatt so I believe right, it's the definitive yeah, history of how the Premier League became so, so successful so if Grace wants to know more I really recommend that book I have a question for you which I we, haven't read
1: <laughs> I have a question for you before we move on like we have talked about on the show previously about how you tend to be in favor of changes to competitions or new competitions coming yeah. through or anything or at least like I'm not that. Scared. How were like, like you some co How are you not scared, just I don't I don't like buying into a thing that I feel like is being sold to me for marketing purposes, but then I buy into it for legitimate reasons. The, the idea of being somebody's sucker I don't enjoy, and that's maybe a huge part of it, but that's me and that's maybe therapy for later. Right <laughs> now, my question for you, Daryl, is at the time, do you remember this happening and what was your feeling then? Was it or what was the feeling in England at when the Premier League yeah. started? So,
0: I mean I got into football because of the 1990 World Cup, right? I didn't care that much mm-hmm. before because I watched England at the 1990 World Cup. That was my plastic fan way in, I mean kind of. I mean I was only plastic 90 10 fan, 10 years old, but yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, and then I do remember this whole thing of Sky uh, Sky TV had the Premier League and the Simpsons in
1: 1992
0: <laughs> and wrestling, it had the wrestling, the WWE. Oh, that makes sense because it it's
1: really Rupert Murdoch, right? That's what you yes. said. So yeah, he owns Fox. There mm-hmm. we go. Okay. So that wrestling, makes sense.
0: Simpsons and and, uh, and Premier League. I wanted to see all those things. I didn't have them.
1: That is a strange combination of things.
0: But for a 11-, like, 12-year-old boy, uh-huh. right? Yeah. yeah. Um, so my, my elder sister had Sky TV. She used to tape stuff for me, give me the tapes, and I could watch it. Or I'd go around there and watch uh, Premier League games. So that was my memory of it, of it being a thing that I kind of had access to, but I had to like, get a tape, or I had to sort of arrange to go around Karen's house <laughs> and watch the football. So it had this like, air of just-within-reach wow. luxury. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. yeah. Did you
1: tape stuff off the radio, too? I did that, yeah. Yep, yep. Yep. Kids these days. <laughs> They'll never know the plight. With your Spotify's <laughs> and your Amazon music. Don't never know having to try to figure out how to program a VCR to be able to come home and watch World Cup games. Yeah, and
0: you're never quite sure that it's going to yeah, work. Right?
1: And then when it didn't, you instead are watching Static for an hour and a half. <laughs> and you had to. You had to watch the whole Static. If you record it, that was the rule of VHS. You couldn't She'd turn away. Have passed that law, shouldn't they really should yeah. have. It seemed unnecessary <laughs> at the time. So yeah, that's and my. In retrospect,
0: that's my memory. All All right. Right. Should we
1: keep going through these questions? All right, we should. Which is to say, we have one more question. Yeah. Well, should we do it? Let's do it. Yep. Uh, Sagar Magiri asks: What is the bare minimum and ideal recovery time for a professional soccer player between games? Is playing every alternate day, like some EPL sides do during festive season, just bad, or is it inhuman, or is it okay? <laughs> um, I'm, I'm assuming inhuman he means inhumane. You never know, right? So I
0: mean, it's so it's not inhuman because mm. it is possible. There you go. It's not inhumane, also that because these players aren't like suffering in a real way, mm-hmm. right? So it's not terrible in that sense, but. It's not optimum performance, right? So you can play every other day. I mean, I've played a couple of weeks every day, Mm and I'm not professional, but, you know, it's possible to do it, and you don't necessarily get hurt unless you have some sort of underlying medical condition, but you are not at 100% capacity, um, and you can't expect a professional athlete to perform to their full potential um, if something like the festive period... Happens continuously. I mm-hmm. mean, even, even as it does happen, everybody rotated their squad. Right? Mm-hmm. There was a game where Wolves didn't start Adama Traore. Yeah. It was against Liverpool. I right. believe game where they didn't start Ruben Neves. Mm-hmm. This is I'm going with the team I'm most familiar with. There was no way to play your full starting eleven
1: right. every game with with games every two or three days. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because and I think this is the, like a, a key point. There is that even if you the player feel like yeah I feel fine I'm okay I think that's what physios exist for is to look at your performance overall and say like eh, no like you're down, yeah, yeah. there's a downturn that you're not aware of. That's backed up. I, I texted Bobby, Bobby Warshaw, about okay. this. And he said basically there are different forms of being tired. Sometimes you are legitimately spent and can feel the wear on your body. More often your body is worn down, but you just don't know it. Uh, it's just how you've come to feel every day. So you don't feel down. You just feel normal even though your body is worn down. Yes. A definitive Bobby answer. No, but um, I think that's the right answer. But, yeah, yeah. It's, ba- but it's basically so Like I think – it's, it's not as though you have to have this amount of rest, otherwise you will be completely incapable of playing, but I think what it is is that if you don't have enough rest, you might start a game at 85%, and you'll feel fine, but you just know that you're 85%, and so you maybe fatigue a little bit faster yeah. on the back end, maybe you become a bit more susceptible to injury, depending on your playing style.
0: I would also say the uh, the FIFA video mm-hmm. game. You know, there's the uh, yeah en- energy bar. kind of what I was thinking of there. As that bar goes down, those players think they're fine.
1: Yeah, right. The,
0: the little digital players think they're fine, but they're not moving around yeah. as fast. But I just man, I, <laughs> I know
1: you've had this too, and we are obviously not world class players. Or I'll speak for myself there. But like, like I've definitely I had still working that, on it. I've definitely had that moment though. Give it time. We'll see what happens. When like, say I played. Like, like There have been games where I've played like two two games on a Sunday, and that second yeah. game, even if it's a lower level, I will have that moment of like, ooh, I got to that this morning. I did not get to that this yeah, time. I, the, I don't it, do that
0: anymore, but I've had that same experience. Yeah, and it, yeah. and
1: it's, it's definitely a measurable like, downturn. Mm-hmm. I would say, though, that we're still talking about this from an amateur perspective, and I do think professional athletes, being that they are professional athletes, yeah. have a faster turnaround time, can handle a bit more because they have – Obviously, greater muscle mass, mass, greater fitness, but also greater people around them to immediately deal with any sort of injuries. They're immediately into an ice bath and then treatment and then massages and then everything else. I think that puts them in a better position to play more regularly. So to
0: answer the second part of uh, Segar's question, um, what's the ideal recovery time or the bare minimum? I would guess, based on players comfortably-ish playing Mm -hmm. midweek and then weekend, it's three and a half days. I would agree. Right? Like, I think these so. players do play Saturday or Sunday and then say mm-hmm. Wednesday in the Champions League. If it averages out about three and a half days between games. Mm-hmm. I think that's enough to get back to uh, close to peak performance. Yep. Maybe if you do that every week for a whole year, you or every week for a couple of months, mm-hmm. you obviously start to trend downwards, but at least in the short-ish term, you can play Saturday, Wednesday, Saturday, yeah.
1: Wednesday. Another very interesting point to, to, that goes with what you're saying that I thought was interesting that came from Bobby was he was essentially arguing that players would much prefer to play in a game than train. Like yeah, training, yeah. training, right? Right. <laughs> but so, when you have this fixture period, what tends to happen is some of the training goes down because you have so many more games. But even that can be problematic because even if you're reducing the intensity of your training sessions, it also means that you're not getting those training sessions. So you're sort of going a hundred percent each time because you've got so many games without a lot of that sort of those three days of yeah. okay, we're recovering. Now we're back into training. Now we're back up to the point where you need to be a hundred percent in time for kickoff. It sort of is fewer training sessions. But still, you're then at 100%, like, more dramatically can cause problems down the road, essentially. Interesting. Yeah. All right. Um, so, uh, I feel like overall, three days is probably the way to go. Yes. Okay. <laughs> I have very professional opinion yeah. is three like, days. So yeah, Saturday, then Tuesday. You're good to go. It's so,
0: fine. we answered we answer 12 questions. Yeah. What's the time on the clock? Shorter than I thought it would be. There we go. Yeah, Mm. we did it. We did it. I think that's the new standard. Next time we'll do 13.
1: All right. (laughs) 13 in 45
0: minutes. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you to everybody um, who sent in questions. We love answering listener questions. You can ask us one at com slash questions the link will be in the show notes um, and again if you want to support us totalsuckershow.com slash join if you join at ten dollars a month or more we guarantee to answer one question per month that we do we also very deliberately answer a lot of non-ten dollar questions as well right? we'll there. never get to a stage where it's pay to play the whole way
1: we will not i have a question for you though. why did you decide that we needed to record this show with 12 questions in a sauna why? Why did that seem to be like a good idea? Yeah, for Yeah, that was
0: not my choice. That was the uh, the real estate company that or whoever manages this building that yep. our office is in. Uh-huh. They have set the thermostat. I don't. I don't know. If I think the it's Leon from. Kirby,
1: I think it's Leon from Kirby Enthusiasm <sighs> setting the thermostat. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I think he likes to set it at eighty-five. I yep. think is what he said. That's about where we are right now. We both yep. came in in jackets and. Uh, Sweaters and things. I'm
0: I'm down to a t shirt and I'd go go further if uh, if TSS propriety allowed. There we are. (laughs) All right. Are you ready for some scouting reports? I believe I am. We have one, two, three, four, five. I want to say six scouting reports Mm -hmm. on today's show. We do,
1: starting with the aforementioned. Cameron Carter-Vickers right. scouted by Todd Brandon. I haven't read ahead. Has mm-hmm. the move happened? It has not. Uh, at least not at time of reporting. Instead, 22-year-old American defender for Tottenham, Cameron mm. Carter-Vickers, turned uh, 22 on New Year's Eve. That's the news we are waiting for. Uh, and <laughs> potentially better news, Stoke City announced that on Twitter that CCV was being recalled by Tottenham, thereby ending his loan deal with Stoke.
0: All right. Thank you, Todd. Jeff Markman is scouting Reese Nelson, 20-year-old English midfielder for Arsenal. Mm-hmm. Jeff says, after a lengthy spell out of the team due to injury and lack of fitness, uh, Reese Nelson started Freddie Youngberg's final game in charge, as well as the first two games under Mikel Arteta. Arteta has placed a premium on work rate in training, and it appears Nelson is outclassing record signing Nicolas Pepe in that regard. I think this was set before Arsenal's win over Manchester He scored the second goal, Pepe, yeah. didn't he? Uh-huh. Um, it also appears Nelson's game is evolving towards being a hard-working two-way player, still capable of getting down the wing, but also stepping into central midfield to help Arsenal avoid being over run. Nelson did play a lot of games uh, mm-hmm. during the festive period there mm-hmm. right? So again rotation, Nelson Pepe, Nelson
1: Pepe. Hopefully only only one game every three days uh, Keith Conbach scouting Marcelo Palomino 18 year old American winger for the Houston Dynamo Palomino has reportedly signed with his hometown team uh, the Houston Dynamo training sessions with uh, FC Porto this past year didn't lead to a contract so signing for the Dynamo would be a step in the right direction following nearly 18 months without competitive soccer
0: I'm guessing the Tabromas relationship had a bit to do with probably that didn't hurt as well Oscar Young is scouting Michael Oberfemi the 19 year old Irish forward for Southampton Oscar says Oberfemi gave Southampton the lead in their recent two win over Chelsea latching onto a pierre Emile Hoiberg diagonal pass he cut past two defenders before blasting into the top corner for his first league goal of the season go on
1: Michael Obafemi. did you start to do Pierre-Emerick no, I, I do that every time with that name. <laughs> like Pierre emeril Hoiberg <laughs> nailed it. Uh, Devin Kiefer scouting Erling Holland, nineteen-year-old Norwegian forward for Borussia Dortmund. Holland has signed for Borussia Dortmund after the black and yellow met his release clause. According to an article posted on the Bundesliga's official site, he will wear number seventeen and is li- likely to make his debut against Augsburg on January eighteenth.
0: Ian Shank is scouting Fernando Arce Jr., 23-year-old American defensive midfielder for Nekaxa. Um Fernando Arce Jr. parted ways with Club Tijuana following the end of the Apertura, moving to Necaxa, who placed fifth this fall, so a jump up the table. He only played about 200 minutes this fall with Los Cholos.
1: Mm. So well done, Fernando Arce. Well done to everyone who sent in some scouting reports. Uh, there have been lots of other players on the move, lots of rumors, news of that kind, so we hope we get more scouting reports yeah. to uh, report back next week.
0: We've got to do a transfer show at some point oh, as yeah.
1: well. Oh, right? yeah. Would say we do. All right, there have so,
0: been quite a few moves. There have, yeah, there have yeah. a few. I want to say, Taylor, best of luck to my team in the TSS Derby this weekend.
1: Yeah, I'm fine with that.
0: <laughs> you know, a nihilist Man United fan, a little bit, a oh, little bit. Really? No, I'm just aware. Of, takes the fun out of it for me if you're not even. I just know.
1: have no idea who if they're even gonna have enough players for starting eleven tomorrow. Really, uh, Jesse Lingard, Anthony Martial sent home with the flu, I believe. So now they have no attackers, I think. There's not
0: good. Flu spreads around the team you as well. You
1: have what, Diogo Jota, I think, is out for this one. So mm-hmm. it'll be Cutrone starting. Is that what Will I think it? I read from the Guardian? Who knows? That was the Guardian's say, I preview. Bet, I would bet
0: Neto. All right. Yeah.
1: That'd be fine. Yeah. Because, you know, he's going to be outside and then the goal won't count.
0: I was actually, we'll see whether Wolves go full, full team for mm-hmm. FA Cup and whether Man United do the same. I'm guessing they do because they're playing each other, right? Sure. All will be revealed <laughs> Saturday <laughs> uh-huh. afternoon. Yep. Again, I'm sure you and Ryan will cover it cause I'm guessing there'll be some sort of incident mm. in that game. Yep. Um, for now, I will say, Taylor Rockwell, thank you for taking the time to talk to me today. Right back at you, buddy. Listeners, thank you for listening and we will talk to you again very soon.